Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. Your usual crew is here. I'm your host, Timuchin, and with me today in camo, you can barely see him, Paul Bickler's with us. Paul, what's happening? What's going on? Not too shabby, not too shabby. You're laughing now. You won't be laughing shortly. Uh, Gally is also with us in his festive environment in the background, new location. What's going on, Gally? Finally got a, took five months to find a contractor to fix the basement, repaint the thing and let my homeowner's claim get paid out, set up the Christmas tree in uh, honor of the festive period kicking off here with a big match against Everton this week. Should be a good one. I mean, it has been a good week that we left behind. I figure we kind of like touch up on the week that we left behind, uh, kind of like talk briefly about the Porto game, and then we'll kind of like cover the weekend and look ahead to the week in front of us because there's like a lot happening. But, but the fans have spoken, my friends. The fans have spoken in our Discord fan channel, which if you're not in it, and if you are the literal listener, why the hell aren't you? Uh, so you should just shoot us a message or comment over here so we can get going here. I'm assuming I it shows up as Facebook user today for some reason. I'm not sure why, but uh, we already have uh listeners waiting for your guys favorite section anyway in this discord fan channel there were several fans saying trivia is one of the best parts so it's not only me that likes it uh, hey david cosro even says after trivia he's bailing on us so this week's trivia and it's funny because we were talking about this in discord fan channel how much people love it and how much you guys hate it which what makes people love it even more but uh, we were talking about that, and I had actually prepared a three-part one just to make it more torturous, if nothing else. And that was the wish of the fans. So wish granted, people. Here is this week's trivia. So it is Everton-based as we are playing against Everton. So it's a three-part question. Let's see. I mean, you guys got to get one of them right, right? So top goal scorer against Everton in the Premier League of all time. Let me make sure the wording is correct because I know Bickler gets confused very easily. Uh, top Liverpool goal scorer against Everton in the Premier League. And then I'll invite, I'll ask the third one shortly as we kind of talk about more. So, as always, Bickler, we are starting with you. What are your guesses for the top goal scorer against Everton all time in the Premier League and top goal scorer against Everton all time in the Premier League from Liverpool? Well, look, I'm just going to keep it simple. Uh, I'm just going to go Gerard, just because I know he's got at least one hat-trick in there. Um, but, yeah, that's my final answer, Reach. So you're saying Gerard all-time as well as all-time for Liverpool? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Don't get angry. Just asking. Just clarifying. <laughs> Gally, what do you have? I, too, was going to say Steven Gerrard for the Liverpool portion of the question. Um Boatloads of goals. It's not Alan Shears. Uh, well, see, you put up answers on the screen. Now I'll get said that I was going to just grab somebody's answer that was in front of me. So I'm not going to say Terry Henry because then Cosgrove will tell me that he just fed it to me all week long in the Discord channel because it's his fault that we're doing this every, you know, three portions of this trivia uh, tonight. <laughs> This is the problem I have with trivia, though. Like, you guys make fun of me about the wording, but you say it's a three-part question, and then the first part has two parts. 
No, this was two. So is that two or three parts? Another one. This is two, two of the questions. Yeah, yeah, it's complicated. It's ridiculous. He's trying to beat you down with out of here. Numbers more than one. He's just uh, an angry, angry man, isn't he? Uh, all right. So the first question is: Let's for the you know, for the ones in the back row there. The I'm, first question is: Top goal scorer against Everton in the Premier League. The second question is: The top Liverpool scorer in the Premier League against uh, Everton. Third question is coming up. So hold on. So that one. Well, I, I'm going to agree with Paul, which does not bode well for getting the answer. <laughs> Steven Gerrard is the most Liverpool uh, is the goal scorer for Liverpool, and I'm going to go Serge Aguero. Ah, not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. So we'll let that simmer a little bit. So Bickler can simmer a little bit, but to get Bickler really simmering and boiling over, let's talk about this. <laughs> The Porto game starting 11. Now we can kind of go back to it and smile and be happy because nothing happened. But, Bickler, what was your blood pressure when you saw the starting 11 against Porto? I guess you expected it in a way. but Yeah, it wasn't as high because I was prepared for the emotional damage that lineup would do to me anyway. So, I mean, yeah, no, I think it's a ridiculously – reckless lineup and people will be like well we didn't have options like bullshit we had options we just didn't we do what we always do we put out our our studs um it worked out i'm thankful for thanksgiving i was thankful that there were no injuries in the dead rubber yeah i mean it's worked like i say looking back at it now it's worked out so we can kind of talk about it comfortably god forbid though i mean there are a lot of names there and even the people who came off the bench you know we put hand the water and stuff and i know you know club does this thing where you know he gives them like 15 20 minutes before starting the next game and things like that so that was part of it but yeah i will have to agree i was extremely worried when i saw the 11 galley why do you think we insist or the or club. Uh, why, do, why do we insist to get worried about a lineup? Because no, why do we insist on putting a lineup that worries well, us? <laughs> I, I, well, I was going there. It, we we insist on worrying because he resists on rotation, and this was the absolute time to rotate. I mean, we had an important game at the weekend against Southampton. Clearly, we had to get the get three points. At, um, you know, especially with Chelsea dropping points to United, it was a big weekend for us, and. We have Everton midweek and then another match at the weekend. So th this is, you know, they're coming fast and furious and he had a chance to rotate and he didn't. It made no sense to me. And the fact that he trotted out Moan Mane for that match, you know, made absolutely no sense. And I, you know, we'll get to it later. I expect one of them probably not to start tomorrow or on Wednesday. And I think that's a bad decision, but I think that's what he'll end up doing because Jurgen Klopp rotates when we don't believe he should, and he plays people when we think he should sit them. But at the end of the day, you know, they're his players and they win. You know what? What made me more angry than the actual lineup was his explanation prior to the game. Like when he got asked about the Jota injury, he got really upset about the question because the question was a good question and he didn't really know how to answer it. But his, his response to that was, well – I had to field a competitive team because if we don't put a competitive team out there, we're going to lose our momentum and our flow for the following game, which like made me actually more angry than anything else. Because so now you're disrespecting the entire second level of that squad, which I feel like is competitive. And second of all, you're telling me that you have a squad together 
and rotating that squad is enough to put you off balance. Like that's just, it was a completely bullshit answer. Like it, he doesn't trust like people outside of his regular 13, 15 players. And he never has. And, you know, and then he comes up this week and says, you know, I made mistakes last year that I've learned about. Okay. Well, you might have, I think he's referring to playing midfielders as center backs, but th- you didn't learn shit about rotation. Like, because if your excuse is like, uh, to me, it's just so disrespectful to the rest of the players that are fighting for a place in that squad to say that you have to put out your starting 11 and dead rubbers to be competitive versus some team from Denmark. Come on, man. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was some minor rotation. I I guess the biggest concern I had was, you know, like, you know, going back to the squad over here, like seeing like, like Thiago out there. Especially with the struggles we're having with midfield till everybody gets back, I was very worried to see like Thiago out there and Ox are the two guys that are kind of key part of the midfield right now and you know are easily injured, often injured, I should say. But maybe you know, maybe getting him more playing time is the way to build some of that momentum. But definitely seeing Mo and Mane out there was. Uh, pretty scary but now looking back onto it i guess we're like we made it through what do you make of the game apart from that i mean it was a decent game it was a good game i thought like you know ox had a great game which was good to see and like he's continuing momentum like i thought i thought kanate looked really really poor especially in the first 30 minutes thankfully he started pulling that together um I don't know, man. I just keep going back to like getting out of the game injury free with the two nil win. Yeah. We won two and a half million dollars winning that match. Okay. So what does that cost Liverpool? If Mane goes down, what does that cost Liverpool? If Mo goes down one place on the the premier league table, one place averages about $7 million. So like for me, like you have to leverage which two and a half million dollars was the rest of the season. Um, I thought we played, I thought we played pretty well, like all things considered, um, it's it's a crazy time to be a Liverpool supporter and know that we're going to roll through, like we rolled through, hung four on Arsenal, roll through the Portuguese champions, and then go in and have another banger. And like, it's just normal. Like that's normal Liverpool football right now. And I think we kind of lose sight of like how how good this team is, which is just pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, there were some definite bright spots. Obviously, the Diago shot was like one for the ages, right? You just don't see balls hit that sweetly very often. Um, I thought Taki was okay. Um, he kind of came in and out, but I thought he did all right. Um, which was, I, I mean, that that was really the for me that was like the glass half full. Is like at least I get to see Taki play with Bonnie and Mo instead of being stuck behind, like you know, trying to play with Origi and, and just kind of bit parts that are coming in and out. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was positive all around. Galley, I mean the Mo and Mane thing. Like I say, the, those two are probably the ones that worry me the most. Aside from midfield, is this like our get us getting our money's worth before they go to the African Cup or what? Or we just I, I, think guys out little, there? I think it was a little bit of that. I I can't give you a reason why Mo and Mane both started that match. I I wanted neither of them to start that match. So. When I saw both their names, I was just confused. I was like Paul, I was pleasantly, you know, optimistic that if I had to gut it out, 
and deal with the Alka-Seltzer moments, you know, of 90 minutes of hoping no one gets a hamstring or gets hurt. Honestly, the, the, the positive, the, the, you know, silver lining was seeing Minamino get to play 90 minutes with those guys. But the whole point of getting Minamino minutes is so he can get used to playing with Origi and Jota, which is when he's going to need to play in January when that's his time, right? So, and hopefully Bobby. At the end of the day, I think what we saw was a, uh, a gutted performance where they showed that they do have the medal to want to win every game, no matter who's playing or whether or not they should be playing. Because at times they looked like they were going through the motions in the first half. You know, uh, Diaz was getting runs in on, on um, the defense. They were getting opportunities. I mean, it's, I think Kelleher should have played, but I think Allison being in net was one of the reasons it was nil-nil at the half. So, you know, it was probably important that we won that game and we do continue the stretch going forward. But I just think we have to be more diligent about rotating and playing players that need minutes and at the same time understanding there, there are certain times not to risk guys. And I think that was a risk. Yeah, like I say, now looking back at it, it was nice to find a dandy and a lot of fun, and we got the the win. But like I say, it was kind of concerned to see it initially. You guys expect more of the same against Milan when the time comes, which ends up being like a very important game for Milan, actually. But uh, you guys expect the same, Bickler? I know you do, but yes. <laughs> I don't know why I asked. Well, while you're in a good mood, let's go back to this trivia thing to put you even in the worst mood. Uh, so the trivia, the top, the first question was the top goal scorer against Everton all time in the Premier League. Alan Shearer actually is tied with Les Ferdinand with 16 goals all time. So I think one of you guys mentioned Shearer at one point, but did not roll with it. <sighs> I think the exact quote was Alan Shearer didn't score that many goals against Everton. I think that was basically how you get a trivia question wrong while saying the right answer. See, see, it's kind of like the, you know, mind games that I play over here. The St Steven Gerrard, guess was the correct one uh, with 10 goals. He is the top scorer for Liverpool against Everton. And, you know, I found this list as I'm like preparing for you guys. Uh, for this trivia of like the top goal scorers against Everton all time in the Premier League and stuff. And I know during the game, during the Discord chat, we talked about, you know, this Everton game coming up. And I can't recall who I might, you might, it might have been you, Gally, talking about Divock maybe making, like starting that game in the starting 11. And we said, pretty much everybody in the chat said, yeah, Divock loves a, uh, Everton game to get some goals in. So, how many goals do you guys think Divac has against Everton? Which is the third part, and I'll, I'll come back to like why, kind of like I'm asking this. But how many goals, Galley Divac against Everton in the Premier League? In the Premier League, say three. Bickler. I'll go four. Ah, uh, we got a bunch of people getting it right. Five was the correct answer. And I the thing that's odd about this is that he does love Everton game because when I found this list, it's like a long list of Premier League. And really, it caps it off with like six goals. 
and there was like a bunch of people tied, obviously, but we're only talking like about like 20, 25 players and stuff. And then you have Divac, who's about to make this list. I almost feel like if he starts this week, he will make that list. But before we come to the Everton game, let's talk about the weekend. So we put up our, I feel like right now, ideal lineup. I might argue that Matsip would start for me over Kanate. Kanate definitely looks a different player next to Van Dyke, but I'm assuming we would too if he played next to Van Dyke. Bickler, Matip or Konate, or is this your top 11 right now too? I mean, this is the midfield that we kind of imagine we would have during the offseason. Uh, yeah, I would have gone Matip here personally. Um, I think Konate is the future there. I just think that, you know, he didn't have his best game for Porto, and maybe that's why I started. They, maybe they wanted to get him out of that, maybe get that out of his mouth. Um, but this also just tells me that I, I expect Matip versus Everton, which I think is probably should have been the call anyway. Um, but other than that, yeah, this is this is like the best possible lineup in my opinion. How about you, Gally? Matip, Konate, Nat Phillips, Antof Gomez? What do you yeah. want? Oh, I mean – you, you did mention Nat Phillips, right? I mean, we can play Nat Phillips. Can we all? I, I, I bet you there's somebody who would say can Nat we, Phillips. Can we all? Can we all please just put that question to rest, seeing to the fact that he couldn't get on the pitch during a dead rubber? Um, Remember when people thought he should be starting with Van Dyke before the exactly. season? Exactly. I mean, that's what that's 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 I, I think at one point it was over Van Dyke. Um, but the real question here, to be fair, is is Kanate or Matip? It's the matchup, and I think. Paul's right. Um, Matip was the answer to play against Everton, which is why he didn't play against Southampton. And I don't think the performance against Porto had anything to do with who was starting against Southampton. I think the Everton lineup dictated some of the rotation there. Um, I'll say this about Kanate. He looked poor in that first half, right? But he was also playing on his unfavored side as a guy making less than his 10th appearance for the club because the senior player who we all love and is fun can't kick a ball with his left foot. Can't be done. He won't do it. So like Kanate looked poor playing on his weaker side of a central defense because Matip requires to play on the right-hand side of a center back pairing or he can't play. He's never appeared on the left side for Liverpool which is what he used to do to Lovren too. And then we would get on Lovren when he'd make mistakes playing alongside Mati. So I think some of that has to be that the young kid had to step up and take a big step forward. And he was embarrassed for the first 45. And I give him credit. He finished the second 45 without getting sent off, which I thought there was zero chance of after watching the first half, because he was a, a walking yellow card ready to happen. So I think Kanate has a big, big future. I just think they're going to pick their spots for the next year or so before it's his job to lose. Okay, so let me ask you this then, because, I mean, my thing was on a game, at a, for a game at Anfield when we're trying to open up a defense, I mean, this game didn't turn out like that because obviously the goal came early, so we'll talk about that. But in a game like that, I would always put Matip on there because of his ability to kind of step up with the ball and stuff like that. And, you know, as a guy who uses his left foot just to stand down too on the soccer field, I mean, I feel for, I feel for them. I respect that. It is what it is. But, uh, I mean, so what kind of a matchup are you preparing? Are you preferring Konadi over Matip? Well, 
I, I think honestly when when there's I think he his speed helps him because he can close down, you know, attacking players. I think if if you had someone like a Vardy running off him, I think he's there. I think also physically, I think he was missed in the West Ham game when we needed someone to bully them when they were knocking our goalkeeper around and four guys were lining up. I'm pretty sure on that first corner kick against West Ham, when three players basically all took shots at Allison before the ball was kicked, Kanate would have cleaned somebody out if that was happening before the ball was kicked. And it wouldn't have happened two more times and maybe two more goals wouldn't have happened. That's kind of the physical presence I think is when he's needed. I think in the long run, he has all the talent to be, you know, the, the second best center back we have at our club because we have the best center back in the world. And I really believe that he's going to bet in as a, a guarantee every week. I just think for now it's about the finesse game where we need passing and we need the breakup play. I think that's a little bit more Matip. I think when we need strength, I think Kanate gives us that presence that we're, we lack. That makes sense. How about you, Bickler? I mean, do you have a preference in terms of like when we use Kanate? Uh, no, I would agree with I would agree with Galley that like like a team like West Ham or even a Burnley probably makes sense. Something where you need a little bit more physicality, especially on set piece stuff. Um, just because you can't move him in the box, like you can't like he's not somebody you're gonna like. Even teams that are pumping stuff in from the wing, like he's just gonna he's just a mountain. So, um, and I I really I believe he is like legitimately an elite center back in the making. I think he's going to be something special. Um, I mean, we saw it, you know, out of the gate, his first couple starts, he was pretty dominant right out of the gates. Um, and, and we kind of knew, I kind of knew that that would sort of level out and we'd see a bit of a J curve in his performance just because that's generally what happens. Um, so I think it's only a matter of time, especially given Montip's age. But um, I think, I think Montip's the better start now. Um, Kanate, I would look at him versus physical teams. So, yeah, I pretty much agree with Galley. Konate reminds me of a mountain like Gomez in that sense, where he does some positioning mistakes and stuff like that, but he has the speed to be able to recover from it. But my complaint with Gomez was sometimes he relied on that a bit too much. But, I mean, they're both really young, so hopefully over the years as positioning improves. So... The rumors, by the way, were while we I mentioned Gomez, let's touch up that uh, real quick because uh, Boyas says, Where is Gomez? Rumors this week, midweek, were uh, that you know he might be loaned out to. I knew the moment Stevie came to the Premier League, the bunch of our players would be linked to it in terms of loan moves or ex Liverpool players going there and stuff like that. Uh, do you see that happening, Gally? It almost like made sense in a way because. Right now, barring any injuries, I don't see even a healthy Gomez being able to make his way back. Definitely not into the 11. So I'll, I'll preface it here. I brought it up in the Discord channel when I read it because I was more thinking about, like, what are people's opinions of it more from the standpoint of the story. I don't know that it would happen. Um, you know, I, I got some of Paul's takes on it, and I, and I do agree with a lot of what he might share, you know, when you ask him about it. I think from the player's standpoint, I can completely understand why he'd be pressing for it. And whether it's to Aston Villa or somewhere else, this is a guy who two years ago was arguably first choice starter 
for England in a back three. Every match they've played, he started for Derek Southgate. And I think he sees an opportunity where a young group of Englishmen might go to the World Cup and have a chance to win. And at a minimum, I think he'd like to be on the plane, even if it's as an alternate. And that won't happen if he wears Liverpool's jersey the rest of this season. That World Cup comes in November, and there's no way he gets enough minutes. Cup games, long trips, deep runs, subs, even an injury or two. I don't think he gets enough minutes. So I could see why the player would push for it. I could also see why the player might see what me and Paul sees, that there is an all-time great at one side of center back and a guy they just paid $36 million for that many people think they stole when, you know, Harry Maguire and, and Kurt Zuma went for more money in the Premier League. Like, the, you know, I, I don't know that there's a long-term future where he's first choice at Liverpool. And if I were him, that might mean I push or agitate for a move. Would they let him go? I don't know. But one thing Klopp usually does is players actually act like they want to play somewhere else. He usually lets them. How about you, Bickler? Galli almost did a foreshadowing for what you would say. But, yeah, I mean, I think not only for Gomez, though, I think that's a good point you bring up, Galli, is for a lot of players, these next two transfer windows, I think things are going to go a lot more differently than they would if there was no World Cup just because of, you know, getting minutes, getting on that field. I think it's going to make players a lot less patient uh, to get minutes or to get to opportunity and stuff like that. So I think that's, like, an excellent point. Not only for the summer, but especially, I think, in the January window as well. Uh, what do you say, Bickler? Um, I think looking at this timeline for Joe, I think, like, for me, he's playing for the next World Cup. And I'm not talking about this one, but the one four years from the next one. He's 24, um, so still pretty young. I don't think he's fully recovered. He was the furthest behind in his rehabilitation coming into the year of uh, Matip uh, and Van Dyke and all the major injuries. Um, he was the slowest one. And you got to remember, this is like his third or fourth major, major injury that he's had. Um, and so I've always worried about the longevity of him in general just because he's 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 had some pretty big issues already. Um, I could see him – for me, it makes more sense, and I can see him going on a permanent move before I can see him on a loan. My thing about being loaned right now is like, A, I don't, I'm not convinced he's fully healthy. I don't think he's healthy. And second of all, I can't see us loaning a player that we don't think is at 100% and trusting another team to manage that injury. Um, hmm. So, And then I also look at like last year is still pretty fresh in everyone's memories. Like, do we really, are we comfortable enough that we start loaning out center backs? I don't know. I think the trauma is still real. Like I think there's, <laughs> I think there's still, at least for me, there's still too much PTSD. Um, so like to like get on the let's loan them out uh, bandwagon. So yeah, I mean, I worry about his longevity. He's got huge injuries. I don't think a loan move makes sense uh, for the club, even if he wants it. Um, and I think he's on a race against time that is, is going to be a losing race. I can't see him being ready for the next world cup. Um, and England's like pretty deep at center back. And it's funny because I don't think they've got any phenomenal center backs. They've got a ton of like 
good center backs that are all yeah. jockeying for a spot, you know? But I think that's where he and, – and I'm putting myself in the 24-year-old, and I corrected myself. I realize he's four years younger than I, I made him on Saturday morning. Uh, you know, the 24-year-old in him thinks that if I just get five games in a row and Gareth Southgate sees me, by April I get a call-up, and by June I play in friendlies, and I'm, I'm in the question. And, and if I'm competing against Ben White – Harry Maguire, Connor Cody, Kyle Walker. Like, these aren't world beaters. He's not going up against, you know, France's center backs. To make Next thing you know, you're playing wing back. <laughs> right. But, but you know what? He, this is the thing. I think any one of these young kids in England right now smells that there might actually be a chance that they can win this. And they're fighting to be part of it. Because let's be honest. Any other club would be asking for their 33-year-old captain to step down and stop playing international football. But but we understand that Jordan Henderson wants to be part of that team because he wants on that plane next November because he wants a chance to be part of that. I mean, they all want to be part of it, and I don't blame them one bit. And if, if it means that Gomez can go get a few games somewhere and play and get some run, I give him – I don't mind if he agitates for this move because I think when players ask to play, it's all you can ask them to do. And he's coming back from the type of injury. The only way he'll get back to fitness is playing. And he doesn't have that available to him here. So it's almost like a, it's a tough spot. You know how we'll know this will happen if we buy a fourth rated center back in January or we buy a little depth or we recall Reese Williams from Swansea on loan or whatever we do to add depth, then it makes sense that maybe we're going to make one of those loan to buy options where, you know, it makes sense for both. We loan him out and there's a guaranteed option to buy. If he makes so many appearances or whatever, we get our money because I genuinely think you have to look at the opportunity that maybe loaning him out is the best opportunity to make a prop, make a bigger profit on the player as well. Because, again, he's a 25-year-old international-level player that I don't believe is part of their long-term starting 11 future right now. See, I think just to be able to see that, I think alone makes sense to me. Like, can he be part of that? So going back to what Bickler was saying, and it does make sense, which is odd, but it does make sense in terms of, like, the, you know, his injury, he's kind of like taking care of his injury. Are they going to pull a Nubby Kate on him and like rush him out there because they need a center back or are they going to like manage it? So I guess it really depends on how close he is to be able to play. Because if he is, I think that's a good way for us to see can he get a runoff games and do well and kind of like be that guy. Because really, I mean, for the longest parts, let's not forget when he was with like Van Dyke and we know he's very tight with Van Dyke and they make a good duo. I mean, that seemed like the future, right? I mean, we said, hey, we're set in this position for a long time. So getting him back there, I think, would be golden. And it alone makes sense in that way. But I agree with Paul in that. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how bad his injury is and how we feel like, do we manage it or do we let somebody else manage it? But let's go back to the game this weekend. Obviously, the early goal definitely helped the cause and made it a totally different game. I think it could have been much different but Southampton really didn't end up putting a big fight any performances that stick out to you Bickler from the game this weekend 
Um, trying to think. I mean, obviously the Jota story is hilarious, right? I mean, you saw the celebration. He's playing FIFA right before the game. Has to duck out of a FIFA match really to get to the game. Scores within like 90 seconds of being on the pitch. That's pretty awesome. Um, I mean, it was another great game for Thiago, which was good to see as the killer step over scores. Um, Sala was Sala. Man, like people are going to say it's rest related. I am a firm believer that Andrew Robertson, it's no business being a backup left back. And the both the substitution in the portal match and then this match was pretty emphatic. And it was it was almost like just tell just reminding people that he's elite. I mean, because he just caused absolute um chaos down that left side. I mean, all the chances were coming through his side, even if he wasn't the pass that assisted, he was the pass before the pass. Um, I thought it was the second game in a row. Jordan Henderson looked really, really sharp. Um, I was impressed by just the midfield play in match in general. Everything was one touch football through the center of the park. Um, It was like, and it was precise one pass and move and the passes were going into spaces before the players were there. Um, and that just comes from – and this is the positive of having a manager that does not rotate. You have players that are so used to playing in matches together at match speed, they know where they're going to be without even having to look up from the ball. Like some of these passes that Henderson was pinging into people, he wasn't even looking. He was just like he would get the ball, receive, like look over his shoulder and drop it on a dime to somebody who was making a run. Um, and that is one of the benefits of just – you know, knowing and, and, and playing with these guys and matches throughout, um, lots of positives. And, you know, that's the midfield we've all wanted to see, right? Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson. Um, so that bodes well. Everyone stays healthy. That's uh, like an elite midfield. Like I, to me, that's one of the best midfields in Europe when they're all healthy together. I think they complement each other extremely well. I mean, having Henderson over there, it feels like makes Thiago even a better player. And enables him to kind of, you know, have Hendo fight some of those physical battles. And he was coming back to grab the ball and stuff. But I agree with Robo, especially in the Porto game. When he came in, it felt like it was just like an animal let out of a cage. Like, just the way he got going. And he was just, like, running. And this game, it was just back to having Robertson back again. Gally, what is your... What do you think? Is it rest or is it kind of like a worry? No, it's competition. It's straight competition, homie. Like this is like (laughs) there is no two ways around this. If if he had scored like a worldy goal, if 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 the you know if it was a a Trent to Robo cross and a volley goal into the top corner, and he ripped off his shirt and underneath it read. I eat Greek for dinner. I would not be shocked one bit. He listened to people and blowhards like me and Paul and everybody else out there saying he should be sat and that there was time for a turn and that he was still the best in the world, but he wasn't even the best in the Premier League anymore. And then I blew a dude's ACL out with my praise, which I feel bad for Chilwell. I apologize now. To my wife's fantasy team too. I'm sure we'll get to that embarrassment. Oh, we will, buddy. We will. Oh, I'm sure we will. But in all seriousness, I mean, 
he he literally he could have that. He he could have he could have literally ran over, hugged the big goofy dude, and then smacked him in the head. And I would have been like, he's letting him know his spot. And that's what great players do. They push people right. They get pushed by other young players, and then they reclaim their spot. And that thirty minute run out against Porto basically was like a lay down foundation for like you can just hand me the man of the match on Saturday. Don't ring the bell. I don't care that there's going to be wind. I don't care what formation they're starting. I'm going to be man of the match as the left back with one assist. And he was. He was the best player on the pitch for 90 minutes. And it's great to have him back. Does he also make Mane better when actually Robo is there, Bickler? The actual Robo when he shows up. I feel like their chemistry with Mane makes that left wing and makes Mane look a lot better too. I almost feel like some of Mane's struggles, and I know like his first touch and stuff like that, but in terms of like the runs or not getting the balls he wants and the positioning and stuff comes with, you know, Robo was not being his best as well. Yeah, that's a weird one for me, right? Because I mean, we always, that's what we talked about, that that chemistry down the left side with the triangular movement and passing of Genie Mane, Robo, right? And like, like that was the question is like, they're both struggling this year. Is it because Genie's not there? Like, is that, is that what's going on? Um, and I don't know if I have the answer to that, but like, it certainly doesn't hurt when Robo is playing the way that he played last game where he's just absolutely like balling people down the left side of that field. Um, and it's crazy to watch him literally go touchline to touchline because he's actually playing on that byline, which you don't see left backs do uh, very often get that deep in. Um, so it, it certainly doesn't, it, it certainly doesn't hurt Monty. Right. And I think we, we went into this last pod where Monty's having this weird year where like statistically he's having a good year, but if you're actually watching, he's not, he's not where he was um, a year or even two years ago. Um, but it certainly can help him reform, like refine that confidence and form and certainly makes, him being in dangerous areas a lot easier. And also, it makes it a lot harder to defend against Liverpool because I almost felt like we knew going into this game or at least the way Southampton approached it. Like I said, the goal came in too early, but even if you look at the rest of the first half, like the right, they were too focused on our right side with Trent and Mo, because obviously that's been our bread and butter. So the and when the left side clicks like that, I mean it is very very difficult to defend. But the biggest thing for me, I think, is seeing that midfield. Jamie says it's like the third or fourth time that's happened. I think they have been. When you have that midfield, if we can keep those guys healthy and together, I think that's what makes us very dangerous in like the champions league and stuff like that. Cause I feel like those guys can really control uh, midfield. So Megan, speaking of when you said Jeannie, I was like, if Megan is listening, I'm sure she's going to say, because Jeannie is not here. That's why. But um, she says, Robo also has a weight lifted knowing there's a solid backup for him. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that is part of it, uh, but you would think let me answer this, Gally. I mean, Costas definitely probably knows that he is the backup. Or do you think he has that runoff games and he's like, oh, you never know. No. I just feel like, no. it, regardless of how well 
you know, Nico plays or, you know, like Costas plays or freaking Karate plays, there are certain players they know they're not going to essentially replace. I believe there are certain players who believe, okay, that they are the best player on the pitch every time they walk on the pitch. And some of those players are the guys in the best at their position, Virgil and Robo and, and, and Trent, right? But I also think there are players like, I will tell you right now, I think we put a lie detector test on Curtis Jones. He would tell you, man for man, he believes he's the best footballer in the world. And I think it's part of the reason why the kid has the swag he has and that he's survived the way he has. And there's certain players that you can almost see it in their play. I think Harvey Elliott's one of those kids, right? That's why he got a good run early this year. He kind of came into camp and was like, I'm going to win a spot, and I got it. I don't know that Costas, with those droopy eyes and that deputy dog look on his face, actually makes me think he walks into a room and believes he's a professional footballer. I think sometimes he wonders if, like, the lunch lady makes more money than him. But I also think that's what kind of made him find his way here because he took his time and he got settled and he was able to bet in without screaming for a move or asking his agent for, you know, a loan or, or another opportunity. He, he worked his opportunity. And I think he gets his time. Do I ever think he'll be the first choice at left back at Liverpool Football Club? I don't. But I do think our team is littered with a bunch of guys who actually believe they're good enough to be number one. It's probably what, you know, makes us kind of special and is what's making this squad, even though it's not as deep as Chelsea or Man City's. I think it's just as balanced and ready for challenges on all fronts based on how it plays and they all fit it. And I don't think either of those other clubs can say that. Yeah, Costas, so I was talking to a college buddy of mine and we were talking about Costas and he said he always looks like how we as a team did when we were doing like tour days, like, you know, when you go to, when you go and you go early, like before all the other students come in and you're doing like tour day practices, the morning practices, cause you still party the night before. He's like, he looks like how we did in that practice. And he does, he just like, just woke up and be like, what are we doing playing? You know, just like shows up and like comes on plays. But it is definitely good. Like Megan is saying, it's definitely good to, I know if Robo feels comfortable because of that, but it's definitely good that we can rotate there without worrying about too much of a drop-off. So going back to the game, I mean, especially having the game in hand, we had actually some substitutions that were earlier than the 85th minutes to Bickler's happiness. So especially Ox, I want to kind of talk about Ox because we've talked about him on the podcast before and many have said in terms of, you know, I know, I think it was like Cosgrove was one of them. And we had like a long discussion about he needs a run of games and stuff. I feel like he is getting that. And is that paying off, Bickler? Are you sold on Ox being back or? I mean, before he got, scary? before he started games, he was by far our most used substitute. Like he has like almost double the amount of minutes as anybody else coming off the bench. So he's getting shots, he's getting minutes. Um, I mean, I think there's a quiet confidence that's building that he didn't have before because I think I think you hit it on the head where like he has a tendency to want to do too much when he's out there. Um, and like I think he's been in the unfortunate situation when you look at the span of his career where he was at he when he had so much hype when he was at Arsenal and there was so much disappointed around him uh, disappointment around him because he had it, issues with injuries at, at Arsenal. He was just never healthy there. 
Um, I don't think he was ever – they wanted to play him out wide, and I think he wanted to play centrally more. Um, so I think he's had a frustrating career, and he may feel like, you know, at his age, this his career is passing him by. Um, so I think, I think it's a combination of several things. Um, but, you know, we talked about this. He, he's an exciting, good player to have in midfield because he does bring – a direct long goal threat that we don't have outside of Fabinho and Thiago occasionally coming up and popping a shot. It's different with Ox because he will take it and dribble it forward like Keita does. Uh, he's almost like this nice mix of Fabinho and Keita. Like he he can hit it from long range, but he'll he'll drive it forward too. Um, and I think the thing that's very different with Ox right now is what he's doing without the ball right now. He's making the runs. He's getting in the half spaces. He's coming back and defending and doing all the dirty stuff too. Um, and that's the stuff that I love to see. Um, so, I mean, the momentum's good. Let's keep it going. I mean, I, I don't think he starts the next match, but, I mean, I, he, I think he definitely comes off the bench, which is, which is about where he should be. Um, and I think he's a good – I think he's a good – I like him coming off the bench. I think he's a nice change of pace coming off the bench into that midfield. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's another good opportunity for Ox. <laughs> yeah, I have this. And the podcast mind. is named. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think even when he comes off the bench, like I always say, like when he starts, he's a different player. But I think when he gets this consistency in terms of game time, I think he plays a bit more relaxed. And, like, I think Megan just commented that there was one situation where there was a cross and he is the one in the box right in front of the goal, kind of like, I think, like, he got it out for a corner or something like that, doing the defense and work. And this is the guy that, you know, really kind of... We always know in terms of, you know, him get coming up with the ball and is shooting outside the box and things like that, but... I think what kind of endeared him to Klopp at the time when he was constantly playing was his defensive work on top of that. And yes, we are kind of like seeing that more and more and more. But um, so since you mentioned the Dally, let's touch up on fantasy before no, we move forward. So going back to fantasy football, where Bickler and I root for Kelly week in and week out. And why not? She's still number one in the league. 59 points this week. She has 898. Dan Bennett, who had a huge week last week, is 59 again. Nobody gained much ground. Uh, Galley, I see you had more points, but nobody cares about that. Uh, you're still 37 points behind, so nobody really cares. Uh, at the end of the day, Kelly still has a huge lead, so we're going for that. Uh, let's take a quick peek at our sad affairs. I have made it onto the first page uh, with a 56-point week, which is probably... You know, that's what happens when I had Jota, uh, Trent, and Mo. So they pretty much, I think, got like 80% of my points. And unfortunately, we do have to go to the page two to see our friend Bickler. Bickler, where are you at? Do I have to scroll to the third page to see you? You know what? You have one big week, and you're over here gloating. <laughs> I've been ahead of you for like I'm just asking the last that. eight oh, weeks. You, got you get one. Now you missed your big shot over here. You're doing a real Rio Ferdinand today. Like, I don't it's, appreciate it. It's um, 65th uh, 
a massive 35 points a week. Look, I'm going to blame it on the Spurs game getting canceled. I'm going to blame it on Chilwell going out and me not having an answer for that, okay? There's a lot of things that uh, are happening that uh, I don't really believe in rotating. I've been paying attention to Jurgen Klopp, so I try not to rotate very much. Um, yeah, it just it wasn't one of my better weeks, but, you know, there's always next week. Yeah, I'm glad I had a decent week because it was about to, you know, pull some of the forwards aside and have a one-on-one and be like, hey, you guys better sort it out or I'm going to have to go to the transfer market, which I'm not very big on doing. So well, I'm glad right. they sorted so their act. Public, public service announcement, right, to anyone listening right now, and especially to Mugen, so he doesn't have to <laughs> Especially you. You are here. I'm going to remind you now so you don't have an excuse next week for why you do bad and Paul makes a big jump. There are games that start tomorrow at 2.30 in the afternoon. So if by 1 p.m. tomorrow you haven't either used some transfers or made a move, then, you know, you can't complain that the midweek games came and I had no idea. We talk about it every week now. There's no more complaints from you. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember complaining about that at all. But Mateo <laughs> says he's coming for the galleys. And honestly, you can you can come for a galley. I the Polish prince of American Scouser, I'm fully behind, but nobody's taking over Kelly's spot over there. So I'm two and two right now. Kelly is winning, and I'm above Bickler for the rankings. So it's been a good week. But yeah, that's a good uh, public service announcement because I don't even know, because I think I had somebody with a construction exclamation point thing going over there. So I got to go take a look and see who hurt themselves in the week. So let's look at the lineup coming up. Who are we starting? Because obviously it's a midweek game and we have another game coming this weekend. Do we see any rotation or do we really stick with who just killed Southampton knowing they have four days since this game, but then the, our next game is in three days, I believe. Correct. Saturday, and then we Saturday. Saturday. So it's going to be a short turnaround there. Bickler, what do you expect instead of the starting 11? I expect the exact same starting 11 minus Kanate, and I have Matip in there. And I don't think we go into a diary match sitting Mane or Mo. I just don't see it. No Divac? Five goals, man. Bring him in at like halftime when we're up 4 0. Oh, sounds good. Sounds like a deal. You can get the fifth. Galley, what do you have? I'd love to see that. I, I, I think. You know, David and Paul have the lineup I want is the exact same starters and Matip. I don't know why I feel like Divock's going to start this game. I think I said it in the Discord. I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll, I guess I'll if I have to pick one, um, you, you wouldn't sit the guy who scores the most goals, takes your penalties, uh, and go to your third-choice penalty taker in a big derby match where guys might be out there putting in crunch and tackles. And Klopp keeps talking about how Everybody is targeting Mane with emotional technique and kickouts and how they go at him because he's emotional. Uh, I think that was in response to the Atletico matches, even the Southampton match and the Arsenal, you know, confrontation with Arteta. Um, maybe he just gives Mane a midweek break for a mental break in a derby match where he thinks guys might be going at someone who might get a stupid red. And if there's one guy who could see red, before anything else on our team, it's probably number 10. That's a good, that's a good call, actually. That does make sense. Uh, I, I want mean, him to start. I'm gonna, I'm yeah, but, I mean, if you've got a temperamental player 
What what are you more worried about? Are you more worried him getting red in the derby or not starting him and him being pissed off? I, I agree with that too, Paul, but I, I think at some point you rest these guys a little bit. And I think the way that Klopp thinks, there isn't much time during the festive period and he knows these guys are going away. And it's not like these guys are going away and aren't going to be playing a lot of football. They're going to train every day harder than they train with Liverpool. They're going to play more physical than they do in that AFCON than they do with Liverpool. And at some point, he's going to give them a little break before they leave out of fear that they will be burnt ass when they come home. Because those countries don't give a bleep shit about how they come back from that tournament. I just feel like if you're worried about resting, you're looking at Wolves and then you got a dead rubber in Champions League. We know what he thinks about dead rubbers in Champions League. Start them all! We also know what he thinks about the American Scouser lineup prediction, which is... Don't make them right. So throw a curveball. I tried to grab the fucking curve. Cosgrove says he'd curveball. rather drink bleach than see Div start this game. I want to see Divac already. Yeah, Divac okay. Divac. Now I'm on board. Let's I get, get no respect one-liners. Did you All right. Have to go I'm with Gally now. Let's get Divac on there. Cos, I'm with you. I want you to know I'm not advocating for this. I'm just saying I can see it because for some reason it just feels like a Jurgen move. I will say one thing: if Crossgrove drinks bleach, man, he won't need the uh, the shot. He'll be good with co- no COVID for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear it works great. So, but so this is a question for you guys. And I know you know I haven't spoken to Crossgrove, and he is from Liverpool. Um, so I know in the city, this is probably the biggest game. Uh, not probably. I think it's in most cases uh, the biggest game for people, but. I, I mean, for me, I think I guess it's on a personal level, too, because I have a freaking brother who likes United. So United games always have been because of the rivalry. And I think I, the games have meant more just because, you know, they have been a competitive team as well. Uh, maybe because of that. I mean, to me, that's always the biggest game. Uh, but I know for a lot, like, you know, Cosgrove and many others I've spoken that who are from the city, this is the game uh, similar to... It's kind of hard, like, when I try to refer it to, for example, you know, like, my childhood team of, like, Fenerbahce, where Galatasaray is the biggest game, freaking regardless. Like, there is no other rivalry. That is the game. Like, Fenerbahce is sucking this year, but they just beat Galatasaray at, you know, away. So, there you go. Season done. You know, you don't have to do shit the rest of the season because that's, like, the biggest game. For you guys, let me ask you. See, Cosgrove says it's the biggest game. That's it. But for those of us who are not David Cosgrove, Galley. Is for uh, like where do you stand on that? Like to you, in terms of like rivalry as a you know, like a Liverpool fan in the US, what is the biggest game for you? Yeah, so when I when I really you know fell for this club, I've been following this club for 25 years. It's really been the last 13 to 14 that I've been like you know hanging on it daily and paying attention like we do today. During that time. Honestly, it is Everton, and I'll tell you why. I understood the Derby, and people taught me that Derby, and I asked some folks that I met here that really got me into the sport, and they were from there. They were David Cosgrove. They were from the city, and they explained to me the importance of it. They also told me that United could be a bigger match or playing Arsenal on a certain weekend in the late 90s was more important. But at the end of the day, Everything you went through as a supporter was about those two matches a year in the league playing Everton because it was 
you're bragging rights at work and at school and in the morning. And as a kid from New England, you know, who lives on the, the uh, as they call the Mason Dixon line of New England, which is basically half Red Sox and half Yankee fans, you, you take a beating as a young kid in Massachusetts as a Red Sox fan for a long time. And you understand what the daily routine is of a real rivalry where people are in their face and on sports teams and, and in the office together. So I can totally get it. I, that was Everton. Now, I think I watch so much Premier League and world football. I feel like some of these matches get a little diluted because we play them more often. But for me, I said it earlier today on the Discord channel. I'm happy this is a midweek game because it means I didn't have to wait seven days thinking about playing Everton. And I didn't have to have five or six hours off leading up to the match starting. I like that I have to work all day and then it's time to play because I won't be already stressed drunk before it starts at 745 in the morning on the East Coast. I think it is the bragging rights. I mean, I like I say, like growing up in Istanbul, like if, I don't know about your loss of Goddess, right? Man, I didn't even want to go to school the next day. Like, you were just, you were just like hoping you freaking get sick as hell because it was more the bragging rights and hearing about it more than, I guess, the game itself. But over the years, I think, yeah, just because, I mean, like, what, since 84 or whatever, I've been following Liverpool, I just still feel like it's, um, like United for me. I mean, Cosgrove says like start of the season, like first picture you check is Everton. And yeah, it's like I said, it reminds me more of a like a fan watch a Gothas right kind of a thing going back home. But there is no alternative to that fan watch Gothas thing in terms of like a fan watch you know like the United thing. So it's kind of like an odd situation then. And I don't know like if my brother rooted for freaking Arsenal, I don't know if I would hate United or have that as much. But I almost feel like over the years as I follow the club. Those games have meant more since, you know, we're not in the city to hear about it afterwards. Because I know I'm going to freaking hear about United loss or whatever from my brother for like weeks. How about you, Bickler? I'll yeah, so I was thinking about this. Um, for me, it's probably United. And that's just a proximity thing. Because like for me, being American, like the most annoying people that I know in my life that like watch Premier League happen to be United fans. Like they're the loudest, like they're the, they've the, the ones that I've been associated through work and, and growing up in, in like, as an American, like the most, the thing that I'm most en envious about for people that live in Liverpool is this rivalry because like, mm -hmm. it's not that they get to go to Anfield whenever they want. It's, it's that they live and breathe these rivalries in a way that I can't. Like, so for instance, like my Saturday started with a Michigan win over Ohio State. I grew oh, up in Michigan. I have to listen to that bullshit nonstop for my entire <laughs> life. They're the most like ravenous, hateful, classless base of fans that you'll ever come across. And I have, I have to live in that. Like to the point where like I, I specifically date, didn't date a girl I liked in high school because her family was Ohio State fans. And like – that's what this rivalry is for the people in Liverpool. And I envy the fact that I won't ever get to live and breathe that, that way where you're born into that sort of hatred and rivalry. Um, so, so I don't feel that in the fact that Everton hasn't really been competitive for so long, like that, that's not a loud noise that I hear that I have to deal with off the, the corner of my shoulder. Um, so for me, it's United and I definitely understand why it's Everton for Cosgrove. Uh, and I am, I'm, I am sincerely envious of like not being able to live and breathe some of those rivalries the same way they do over there. 
Yeah, that's a great topic to discuss one day, I guess, because it's kind of hard to pinpoint, you know, when I, you know, when I spoke like to like Angie, for example, and try to explain the amount of hatred and the reasoning behind it. Uh, we were watching this. There's this documentary actually on Amazon about, you know, the teams in Istanbul. It's I think it's called Gizzi, but uh, it's about these protests. Actually, they did together all the hooligans and stuff. But before that, they kind of like build up the story in terms of like how much these people hate each other. And it's kind of really hard to explain why that hatred is there. I think you're right. You kind of like grown into it, born into it. It's kind of like, you know, in your it's in your DNA to kind of like hate the other club. And like I say, I mean, I grew up in a Fenerbahce family. I mean, my grandfather played for Fenerbahce. He's like one of their all-time best players and stuff. So, and we are from Kadikiri, like the Asian side of Istanbul. So it's like, you know, not that you had a choice. So you kind of like born into that culture and you kind of grow with that culture. I'm sure Cosgrove did, you know, that's why I'm always shocked to hear uh, of families in Liverpool, which we should bring somebody from like Liverpool on to kind of like talk, talk to us about that, where I hear, you know, in a family, one guy roots for Everton and like his brother roots for Liverpool. I'll tell you what, if me or my brother rooted for God to start a bitch or something, first of all, we'd probably get our ass beat uh, by probably my grandfather, first of all. <laughs> if not, probably from uh, me or him. Like, we would kill each other probably because you would not survive in that house or rooting for another team. So we got to bring a family on like that to kind of like do a reality show here on the podcast. But it should be... I do not understand that. I cannot comprehend that, not knowing how it works. But, Gally, let's get a score prediction from you. Oh, well, I'm going to go... How many goals we score? I'm going to say 3-0. And can we all just, like, come to agreement that there's no reason to worry about the fact about playing Benitez? This team can do nothing offensively. They look like a mere – they look like a terrible shell of even the best portion of last year. And they're not even defending well. Like, I think three might be light, but I, I don't see how they score. Like, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin was playing, maybe they get a lucky header on a corner or they break away and they get a cross in. But, you know, this team to me seems a shell of itself. Damari Gray's been their best player probably since the beginning of the year and – uh, I think we we kind of toy with them. Probably win three nothing, and hopefully, it's the second win in eleven years. As Cosgrove reminded us, we've only had one in ten. How about you, Bickler? See, like Cosgrove says, like five zero Liverpool. I'm shocked because I. Okay, first of all, so- you guys know I worry as a lifestyle, so that's part of it. And now. You know, I have a streak of three games where I watch most of the game leaning back, which is a freaking shocker by itself. Uh, you know, like from like the Arsenal game, Don Porto, because it didn't mean as much. So it was more like a relaxed watching. And then like this weekend's game, I was able to like lean back and stuff. So that is definitely against my like Liverpool DNA. Uh, so I and the Derby game, the fact that regardless of how bad the other team is, I think when these matchups happen, I know this is a cliche, but the kind of like the records go out the door and the form goes out the door and stuff like that. And I do believe in that because it does. I mean, there's a reason, despite having been so dominant over the last decade, especially compared to Everton, but at least, you know, compared to the rest of the Premier League too, over the last four or five years, we still only won once. And I think that's proof by itself there. What do you say, Bickler? 
Yeah, so I'm with you. I generally think that in big rivalry games, that's like the ultimate equalizer, and then it kind of levels it out, and you meet in the middle, right? Um, even if you've got a lopsided, like, in quality, like you just sort of meet in the middle because of that, the energy. I said all that right before we beat United 5-0. So, um, <laughs> like, I look at this thing. We average over three goals a game. Correct. They are winless in seven. They've scored four times in seven games. They're without Damari Gray. We're on a revenge world tour right now. Um, and I just see this getting real ugly real hey. quick. I think man, it's four. I think it's four now. Scaring me, man. The I, more I you know it, I, it, the more you guys scare me. I swear. I know it drives you crazy, but right before it came up in the chat thing, and I, I don't want to acknowledge like I didn't see it, but I was about to jump in when Paul's talking about all these problems they have. I was going to remind him one of their like the other the solution is Solomon Rondon, which I'm pretty sure is like my grandfather's age, and he like Solomon Rondon came back from China. And the response was, what? Oh, well, here's the thing about Rondon. I appreciate the fact that he's essentially a South American bowling ball. Like, if you watch him, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. He's not, he's not the answer. It's, uh, I, I, think, I think there's going to be – man, I just think there's – man, we're going to play with some fire. I'm looking forward to this because I think there's a lot I – think, I think we're going to go out there and make a statement. Um, and just the fact that, like, ever, like if you're an Everton supporter, you have to fucking hate this game right now in the form they're in, on the form we are. Like, it's just everything is lining up to get smashed for them. So yeah. let's hope that happens. Let's be real, right? United should have fired Ole after they were drugged by Liverpool because there was no coming back from it, right? We all knew it. And after what could happen Wednesday night, the Everton fans may get their absolute wish because they'll just run Rafa out of town because honestly, he could literally get fired based on Liverpool's play twice. And each time he had, he, he's the direct reason for it. His setup will require it. The last time he set us up, played terribly. And they finally like, we have to move on. We can't do this anymore. This will actually be him walking out the door because he can't stop it. All he's known to do is set up a bus and honestly stop things. In a decade, he's done nothing but defend and make clubs he's at worse. And he has made Everton worse than Carlo Ancelotti walking out on them and still trying to like poach players by talking good on the way out the door. Can you imagine what will happen when he's on his way out the door and the Echo tries to write reports about how great a job he did at Everton? And then he tries to bring Solomon Rondon to the next job, which probably could be in League Two. Well, it, it might work. It might be Rondon back to China. <laughs> They're not paying like they used to. And Rafa no. did one thing. He likes a big house on the Merseyside River. And he likes money for lack of points. Man, I want to be like, why am I the way that I am? <laughs> As you guys, your guys' overconfidence makes you even makes me even more freaking worried. So thanks a lot for that. And you know, it's so valid points like the people they have and who's gonna play. You know, like Keen, Allen, Gomez, and stuff. But yeah, I'm a worrier. So just let me be. I'll worry till we kick their ass. Hopefully, Fabian but... Delph. Fabian Delph started last weekend. Fabian Delph. 
I think it's because whenever I've that's why I never if you guys notice in these like podcasts, I never throw names out there because I learned the tough way, the freaking name that I throw out there. Like if I said what you just said, uh, that guy <laughs> without mentioning names would have like a freaking hat trick the next game. It's just the freaking way it works for me. I guess I'm just paranoid like that. But hopefully we'll get over here. We didn't get a chance to kind of like go look ahead to the weekend. Uh, with the Everton game talk, but I kind of figured like as big as the game is, it definitely deserved more of the podcast. So we will kind of hope for the great next four or five days again. It has been like a great form of like, kind of like Bickler saying, it's almost like we semi-take it for granted at times, but it's a great time to be a fan, to be able to watch. If a guy like me can watch games leaning back, <laughs> three games in a row, that says a freaking lot by itself. So thanks to all those for listening. And chiming in, I always forget to say this during the podcast and stuff, but share, like, and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, invite others to chat along with us as we recap the games, hopefully next week. Thanks a lot, gentlemen, and see you guys next week.